listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Humanize Me in 2020. It's going to be a good year for this podcast. I don't know about the rest of the world, but this podcast is going to have a good year. I, I know that. And, and this first episode is going to be wonderful. I, I'm so excited to share with you this conversation that I'm about to have or that I had, but I'm about to share with you with uh, Gabriel Roderick. But before we get to it, I'm going to get to it really fast. I got just a little bit of housekeeping. Here's the housekeeping. First of all, thank you to the people that make this podcast possible. All of you Patreon supporters, it means a lot. We're, we're going to have a great year and it's because of you. So, I mean, I'm going to do the whole thing that I usually do where I'm going to get people in, 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 in by name throughout the year. And we're not going to do that today because the conversation I've got is a little bit long and I don't want to slow things down. But I see you. I love you. And we're going to do good this year. Second thing, if you want to get to me, if you if you got a comment on this episode or any episode, a question, a suggestion for an episode, um, if you want to get in touch with me about counseling, the kind of internet based Skype style counseling and coaching that I do with people all over the world. You think you got some kind of transition or some kind of issue that I might be helpful with. It's easy to find me at bartcampola.org and, uh, and, or at humanizemepodcast.com. Either way, come at me. I love to hear from people. All right. That's, I think that's the housekeeping. I don't think there's anything else. So here's what we're going to do. Gabriel Roderick, I've known him literally his entire life. His dad is one of my closest friends and always has been since I was a boy. And, uh, and so I've known Gabriel forever, but I met him again. I met a different Gabe when he was 15 and he was in a terrible accident and became a quadriplegic. And I remember sort of connecting with him in the hospital and realizing, oh, we're going to have a very different relationship from now on. And uh, he's become a very important part of my life in a different way than just like my fake nephew over the last 10 or 12 years. And uh, last year, I met him again in a totally different way when I went up to Minneapolis and watched him at the center of an incredible show called A Cripple's Dance that Gabriel had found the financing for and brought together lots of different talented people. And it was this crazy combination of Gabriel's original music, lots of a big band on the stage and dancing in which Gabriel and another uh, person in a wheelchair, a woman in a wheelchair, had, had had hired a choreographer and they choreographed this amazing movement dance with Gabriel and able-bodied dancers. And some of it, he was in the chair and some of it, they lifted him out of the chair and he moved his body around on the floor and the other dancer did. It was beautiful. It was sensual. It was inspiring. I just, I just had never seen anything like it. And I'm not saying it was a good show for a disabled performer. I'm saying it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. 
And, uh, and I knew then that at some point I wanted to, to bring Gabe into a conversation that I could share, but I didn't quite know how to go at it. And in the aftermath or afterglow or after whatever you want to call it of cripple dance, of, of a cripple's dance, we've ended up having some conversations that made me think, yeah, now's the time. So listen, you, it, it may be a little bit weird for you at the beginning because I don't, I don't do as good a job at the front end of this interview of creating context. But, but I think if you like suffer through or not suffer through, but if you, if, if you get through the first few minutes, I think you'll find that, that everything becomes clear and Gabe starts to really un, un, unpack what he's doing and what it means and what he's learning and what his story is. Um, if you want a little head start, the, I, I, we're putting a bunch of stuff in the show notes this week. Um, I'm going to put some of, some photographs of Gabe so you can see what he looks like. There's links to his music. You sort of sense, oh, this is a serious artist. This is this is a legit person uh, in that world. And that's the weird thing is that when I saw Gabe on stage, I realized I I don't think I had ever seen a live performance by a disabled performer. There just aren't very many disabled artists in the public view. It's it's strange. And there's a, there's a politics behind Gabe's music and uh, an activism in, in it that's real. And yet that's not, Gabe is not, he's not playing on the disabled thing. It's, it's who he is and it screams in a beautiful way. So I, 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 talking about art, talking about music is always hard for me. It's better if I just talk to the artist. So I'm going to play a little bit of Gabe's music just so you get a sense of the voice he's got. When he's, when he's singing, and then you'll get this conversation on the back end, I'll play you another song. All right, here's me and Gabriel Roderick going at it.
are you sitting, man? Well, I'm sitting in my room um, at the house I grew up in that my mom rents out to us. Um, this is my workstation. I make music here. I do writing. Yeah. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. Does that room ever become like too many things happen in this one space? <laughs> Funny you say that because I'm currently tr- kind of starting to think about trying to find a studio space where I can actually go to uh, work and be creative rather than have my room be my creative space, the place I sleep, the place I eat, the the place I have sex, the place, you know, whatever, all the things that happen in my room. I want, I want a space where I can go to specifically be creative and, and make it a little more ritualistic routine. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can relate to that even yeah. myself and, and it's, it's not, it's funny. I, have you ever heard of Virginia Woolf? Uh, I feel like I've heard that name. Yeah. It's, it's, she was one of the great writers of the last century and, uh, and, and one of the, the first women writers to really think about why there weren't so many women writers Mm. and kind of the politics of creativity. She wrote a book called a room of one's own. Okay. In which she sort of suggested that, because women in her time very seldom had a space that, that they could control, Mm. um, that they, that they could have privacy. They could go to and be creative and not have it be sort of constrained by the men in their lives. Mm. Um, that it, that it, it inhibited them in a huge way. Mm. And I think sometimes, you know, we all, you know, everyone needs a room of one's own. Yeah whether physically or, or emotionally or mentally and, and not all of us have it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I guess I can relate to that in some ways, you know, being a disabled artist and musician, it's, um, you know, living as that and working as that it is, it's hard to find a space where you, you know, you feel welcome because you're completely surrounded by an able-bodied world and, you know, not just people, but, you know, all the venues that I play in aren't accessible. The, wherever I go, it's, it's not a disabled world. So finding a space where I can, you know, just feel good about who I am, what I'm doing and feel comfortable in that is hard to find. Are you ever in a space where you feel like this space was designed with me in mind? Mm, Very, very rarely. Um, And I can't even really think of anything, to be honest. Um, So so when you were talking about this studio idea, um, I found myself thinking like music studio, art studio writing studio. Yeah. Like, what are you these days? Like, what do you, like when somebody said, what's your, what's your sort of category? Right. Um, I don't know more, more and more. And I, the word feels pretentious in some ways, but I, I do really think of myself as a creator. Like I'm, I'm 
a creator and a storyteller, I guess, are the two things that come to mind most. Um, because I'm, I'm really beginning to fuse all of my creative work, you know, my music, my writing, my, my visual art, you know, I'm thinking more about doing film and photography, um, uh, and, and trying to tell a story using all of these methods of creation. Um, because in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're, we've reached a point in a lot of ways, like we've kind of reached our limit, like genres, genres of music, genres of art, you know, they're, they're starting to become moot. Like they don't, really exist anymore um so thinking about how can we further you know innovation and and um you know new forms of unique art like in my mind it makes sense to just combine it all and use it that way to tell our stories it's funny when you were talking about the genres melding together uh i was I was looking up a poem to share with a group of my friends. Like we were, we were putting together this, we have this kind of secular congregation here that meets on Sundays and we were planning mm-hmm. a, a, a meeting and there was a poem that was going to be part of it. So I, I, I pull up this David White poem. He's one of my favorite uh, poets, W-H-Y-T-E. And when I look it up on poetry.com, the poem comes up and at the top it says, play this poem and you hit the button and David White himself is there reading the poem. Mm. And I'm so, so is a poem now, is it, is it a written thing or is it an audio file? Like, what is it? And I thought, yeah, you know, there's just, it's all there. Yeah. And I, 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 I can relate to that in a lot of ways. Cause I, I think, I think with a lot of my, the things that I'm creating, like, it's all poetry, isn't it? Like <laughs> everything that humans create is kind of poetry. It's a, it's a story that's being told. I don't know. Well, what's funny is like, I, I would say everything that human beings create intentionally with an aesthetic in mind is poetry. Because mm, like, yeah. to me, the definition of poetry is th- like, an intentional selection of what words to put in and what words to leave out or what images to put in and what images or what movements to leave in and what movements to leave out that, you know, there are some people that are just, just expelling stream of consciousness, just whatever it's just coming out. Poetry is when you stop the stream of consciousness and try to guide it a little bit. Right. I'm actually in this kind of weird place in my life right now where I I feel like a lot of my ideas, my ideals, my beliefs are like shifting in a, in a pretty, I don't know, just a really big way. Um, and I've like, for example, I'm, I'm doing this, uh, I'm commissioned by this venue here called the Cedar Cultural Center. That's where I did a cripples dance in 2018 um, to create new work. And the work I'm creating is a 
a series of songs um, about anger and this idea that um, pairing fear and anger is a, a very destructive emotion. Um, but when you peer, pair anger with hope, it becomes a very powerful tool for change. Um, so I'm writing this kind of spoken word, kind of funky jazz music under the spoken word about these ideas. And I'm, I'm not feeling as connected to it as I used to. Um, and I'm, I'm finding it hard to like get in with this, these creations and really finish them. So I don't know, like in a lot of ways I see, you know, when you take a step back, you can like look at all of my work and you can see all the threads that are going through it um, to, to create kind of one big story. Um, but at the same time, like on the ground level, I'm feeling like I'm all over the place right now and I don't have like an anchor as far as what I'm trying to say, what, what's, what story I'm trying to tell. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very confused yeah. right now. Well, you know, it's funny because you, you just mentioned a cripple's dance and I saw the first performance, you know, I saw one of the first performances of a cripple's dance in Minneapolis. And so I, and, and I remember when I watched it, I mean, it, you had been, you had gotten this grant and you were able to mount a production of, of, of your music, of you and, 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 and another, and a woman in a, in a wheelchair dancing yeah. with all these able-bodied dancers. And there was all this stuff and you were telling stories and there was all this stuff going on in this theater. And yet I still felt like you were the, like every, everyone else was an extension of your voice and you were telling your story up to that point. Yeah. And a part of me wonders if part of this confusion now is that you actualized or you, you fulfilled like you told that story so well and so powerfully that in some sense, you know, sort of like, what do I, you what know, do I do next? Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, like, cause yeah. all the work up to that point I thought was you, and I don't want to say stumbling because a lot of the things that you made were fully realized works of art, music, um, writing, oh, yeah. but in some sense it all coalesced and you could sort of say yep. like it was all leading up to this explosion. Absolutely. That's exactly how it felt like all, you know, all the work I did in treading North, the band, my first band, you know, all the music and writing I did during that period, it was a very visceral feeling over the last two years before a cripples dance. I was like, wow, like, I see this whole thing, like all of my creations led to this point, And this is, this is what it came to be. When you, if somebody, if somebody said, tell me your story, where does your story start mm. for you? Like, take me back to the beginning. Like, when does the story of Gabe start yeah. in your mind? Um, you know, it starts here in Minneapolis. 
living in this really tight knit community of people in South Minneapolis, you know, five families, six families, all living within a quarter mile of each other. My parents got divorced in, uh, they split up when I was like 12 years old. And then I think where a lot of people see my story starting or know of my story starting is my spinal cord injury in 2008, a diving accident in Costa Rica. I broke my C4, C5 vertebrae. Um, Before my injury, I played piano and I lost the ability to use my hands post-injury. So it was... I mean, you can use them like claws. Yep. Yeah. Like I can still kind of pick stuff up. Um, but it's just using the leverage of my fingers. I can't move any of my fingers or right. my wrists at all. Um, so w- w- what's this injury called? C4, C4, C5? C4, C5 spinal cord injury. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and what are you called? A quadriplegic uh, or quadriplegic, paraplegic? Like maybe tetraplegic. Some people use those interchangeably. Um, so, so like the, I mean, the weird thing is like, I knew that 15 year old. Yeah. And if there's anything I would have said about you at 15, if there's, if there's two things I would have said about you at 15, it's really physical, mm-hmm. like, like runs and jumps and wrestles and throws things and, you know, very physical person Yep, doesn't say much. Yeah. K- kids real quiet. Yep. You know, I was always trying to engage you in conversation <laughs> and seldom did very well. Yeah. Um, but I could always get you to throw Frisbee or swim, you know, like you were Absolutely. a really physical person, yep. you know? Um, and the other thing is the defining thing was he's really musical. Like mm-hmm. he plays beautifully. Yeah. Um, I don't know if your voice had emerged at that point yet. No, it, it was starting to, I like probably two years before my injury, I had started actually writing music where I was singing as well. Okay. So, so I like, so the, the physicality and, and, and the weird thing is, you know, you were 15, your dad and I were 15 when we became evangelical Christians mm. and it's a very different transition, obviously. Yeah. Um, and one was by choice and one wasn't, but I'll tell you what, that effectively shut down my sexuality, mm. uh, at a very strange time. Right. But in a very different way and with a very different sense of permanence, yeah. um, you know, sometimes I think about sexuality and the way it's changed over the course of my life and my mm. relationship to my body and my relationship to sex in my twenties and thirties and forties and and now in my fifties. And I mean, I mean, literally right now I'm having a kind of a, a sexual reevaluation where Martin and I'm going, what does sex mean to us now? Yeah. And how do we feel, you know, and, and the idea of that your sexual function getting locked in Mm -hmm. at 15 or locked down, it's a very, that's a, that's when I think if anybody really thinks about that, that's, it's, it's, it's a devastating time for that to happen. Yeah. 
yeah, and I especially, you know, the the day of my injury or the night before my injury, um, I remember very vividly. Um, we were I was with a bunch of the other kids who were on the foreign exchange trip, and we were. Uh, it was the last night in the city that we were in and we were kind of having a party and we were dancing and swimming in the pool. And I remember like, I remember like feeling awakened, like, cause I started dancing with this girl that I kind of had a crush on and it like, yeah, awakened is like the only thing I can think of. Like, I started flirting with her and dancing with her. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I, I'm sexual. Like I'm, you know, not that I wasn't like, you know, I was masturbating and, you know, I was a sexual person before then, but like outwardly and flirtatiously, like actually starting to interact in that way was the night before my injury. And you know, the next day I lose it all. Like it was just taken away from me. And since then I've been just chasing that and trying to figure out how to get it back. And it's, it's a really difficult process when one, you lose your sexual function, you lose all the feeling in your body. And then two, just kind of the societal standards of, you know, what's attractive and, um, what sexuality is in, in the stand, in the eyes of society. Um, it's been a really, really difficult process to kind of reawaken that in a body that doesn't, doesn't feel it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've read some of your poetry. I mean, I read this recent thing that you put up on Instagram. Um, the one where you have it's fo- it's it's photographs of you mm. with a woman, um, dra- her draped over you and you draped over her, um, yeah. and then there's this this poetry and writing that you have where you talk about the longing that you have mm. and the disconnect that you feel, and the co- yet the hope that you have that there is a form of intimacy that's right of still available to you. Yeah. When I was reading this, and, and this is the question I have is, are you trying to figure out a way to get to the intimacy, even though like by a different route, because you're not going to be able to use the sexual route? Or are you like, are you trying to figure out a different kind of sexual route? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out and, and, you know, s- still using the sexual route, but at the same time really exploring other routes to get that kind of intimacy. Um, I've currently been kind of seeing somebody who also has a spinal cord injury and we've, we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, if, if this can even be done because both of us can't feel our bodies and um, we don't, we don't really know how to be sexual with each other. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's got me thinking a lot about like, you know, how can we use our minds? How can we use poetry? How can we use 
our voices, our words, um, you know, other, other forms of love to kind of experience that, that same pleasure just in different ways. Um, and it's been a really difficult process and I, I'm, I'm still unsure if it's going to work out or not. Um, but it, it's definitely a, a, a healthy process, I think, to be thinking in those terms and how, like, what is intimacy? What is it actually? Um, yeah. And well, I mean, it's funny because you, you were describing the sex that you've in, in this in, in this writing, right? You describe the sex that you've had up right. till now because, like, when you were fifteen, you had not had any sex. Um, yeah. you've had these experiences, all your sexual experiences post injury. And, and you were saying that in a weird way, the sex you've had has been almost like friend sex, like where you really right. love and like and enjoy the partners that you've had, but right. the sex wasn't grounded in, and, and ro- like romance as well. Like you know, that, that, what was, that what, heat, that passion right? that, that can really only come from a, a deep romance. And is, is that because to get to sex, there's so much, you felt romantically attracted to people, but I guess the chances that, that the person you're romantically attracted to is a person who you can mechanically actually have sex with is, is that's probably a very narrow sort of crossing of the Venn diagram. Like the, the, the number of people that are like, I know how to have sex with a handicapped person. I'm open to having sex right. with a handicapped person. Like that's one subset. And then there's the number of people yeah. that like you might be romantically and intellectually uh, exactly. attracted to. And it's probably a very small crossover. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, that's what I'm finding is that, you know, it, there, there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, down with my body and down with, you know, catheterizing me before we become intimate. Um, but you know, that even in and of itself is a smaller group of the population. And then to find somebody within that group who I'm romantically attracted to and, you know, have these deep passionate feelings for is, you know, much smaller. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been hard to find that person and, um, and in some ways I think I've, I've found that person now, you know, this person that I've been seeing, um, but like the script is flipped in some weird ways and you know, it's just a, a process to figure it out if it's going to work or not. Yeah. And the stakes are like, what's so weird is, is that it's, it's a little bit like you're on this desert Island, you know, and you find a match, right? The stakes when you strike that match are really different than when you're in your kitchen, and you got a box of matches. Right. Um, and you go like, ah, if this one doesn't work, like, you know, if this one breaks, like you just, <laughs> move on to the know. next one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's just a different ball game when you go like, 
and, and that's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship in at, at the at the front end yeah it is yeah um yeah yeah so h- how soon do you think you became aware of the idea that the music that you were going to write and the music you were going to sing was going to come out of your story like mm. that they weren't going to be pop songs um i don't think i really thought about it honestly um and maybe that's because i don't i don't really listen to a lot of like pop music um you know i listen to tom waits like that that dude is a great storyteller um and it just felt natural to me and right to just start telling my story and i think it's also just that writing music and telling my story was therapy like that doing that work got me through years of my injury and still does um being able to dig in and figure out what's wrong and how to how to get through life in a chair is you know a lot of people can't do it you know i've i've known people who haven't made it and what does that mean hasn't made it like they committed suicide or died yeah um and um i mean i, mean, I think about it sometimes like i'll be laying in bed and i'll just hold my body in one position and say okay what if this is it and you never move this thing again right and it freaks me out. Yeah. I get upset. Uh, it feels like being buried alive. Mm-hmm. And when, and, and whenever I, you know, I, I sometimes do it to sort of go like, you know, and it's just my imagination, but it still, it, it upsets me and it can really s- send my heart racing and make me feel terrified. Like, no, I have to get out. Like my nose itches. I have to be able to reach <laughs> right. it. Yeah. And then, you know, and I, I mean, you've been able-bodied and you've been this-bodied. Is that kind of imagination have any, like, is it, is is there any grounding in that? In knowing that other people think about it that way or? No, no. Like when I'm thinking about it, am I, am I, is that terror? Is, is that, does that have anything to do with the real terror? Of not being able to move my body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think there's a point where you just have to ignore it, to be honest, like, cause it will drive you insane. If you, if you get That's stuck in that thought process of like really just thinking about your body in that way and how you can't move it and how you have no control over it, it will tear you apart. Um, and so there has to be this, this element of ignorance and you just have to keep moving and find the things that distract you from it. Um, and, and in some ways like help you to interact with it in a healthy way. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what my music is. You know, I talk about 
a, a lot of a lot of my stories are about my body and how I can't move it and how I'm disconnected to it. Um, but that it, you know, somehow just kind of makes it okay in some ways. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that I, I feel like a lot of your music and, and even more so your poetry and your, your, your prose, like the essays that you write, like you mm-hmm. you know, you were so quiet after the injury. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea how angry you were, mm. and I, I just had no idea. Um, yeah, and I was like, and, and and you know, and I felt it. I mean, I felt your rage, and I was like, oh, I have been fooled. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, again, I just attribute that to my ability to put all of those emotions into my creations. And, you know, there, there's a, a, a visceral release on stage of a lot of that anger for me, you know, just putting all of that on stage, it, it, you know, dissipates a little bit. And yeah, I remember Bruce Springsteen, yeah. um, listening to him talk about how, you know, he struggles a lot with depression and yeah. that the four hours on stage is, it, it, it is ultimately it's therapeutic for him. It's what he has to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and the, the interviewer said something about like, yeah, but he said, when I watch, he said, I just think like, I wish I could be Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen says, yeah, most of the time I wish I could be Bruce Springsteen too. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. I can't like, that's four hours. Yeah. Said, I got 20 more to live with and they're not nearly as good. <laughs> um, right. Which, which is a little bit like for me in conversation, mm. I don't have any real thoughts unless I'm talking to somebody. Mm. I, I figure out what I think through t- in conversation. Through yeah. Yeah. And I don't express what I think. I find what I think. Mm. Mm. And so, you know, cause I, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, it's kind of sad because we're having a conversation and you're more than holding up your end of it. <laughs> and uh, you're like, yeah, yeah. Conversation is just a thing I do in between my creative work. And I'm like, no, no, no this, this is it this for This is me. my creative work. <laughs> this is what I've got. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I don't do anything you know, well, else. I, you should know that I'm, I'm very envious of that because I'm, I, I was actually coming into this conversation like, oh, I'm, I'm just not good at talking and not good at talking about my life and my creative stuff. Like, you know, I tell my stories in writing and, you know, in, in the room from my room. Um, so I'm, I'm very envious of people who can, you know, find what they think and, and converse like you do. I, I've always yeah you, you're doing just fine well, thank here, you. but, you're doing but I've always fine. I've always wanted to be more of a a, con, a con, conversator is that a word conversationalist yes or or if you want to get really fancy rock raconteur raconteur okay nice yes I don't I don't yeah. even know like I don't even know that I really want to. I mean, partly because I don't want to, I don't want to wear, wear out this whole conversation in one, you know, we'll talk again, but, um, right. Right. But it, it really is interesting for me because 
I was already on my way out of Christianity when this injury happened. Mm. But it was, and, right. and you say, well, why would this injury change anything for you? Like you, there, there have been people getting paralyzed for years. I'm like, yeah, but they weren't any of my people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, right. uh, it wasn't in, in close. The crisis, it's, it's funny how injustice can be happening all around you and it doesn't shake your faith. Um, but when it happens close, it, it, it does something. And so it's funny to me because I think of myself as already having been fully secular when you got hurt, but I, like mm -hmm. the timelines don't add up. I was still doing the Christian thing. Mm. Um, wow. And yet that, that's when, so, and yet, and yet your injury, you did not surprise me or I didn't, I didn't sort of go like, God, where are you? I'm shocked. I'm, this is so surprising to me. <laughs> like I, I, on some right. level, I must've already been out and I just didn't know it yet. Right. You know, my faith was like a dead man yeah. walking. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I mean, for me, I consider myself agnostic and, you know, I don't really know where I am with faith and spirituality a lot of the time, but I know after my injury, I, I moved pretty quickly away from the church and it was because of um, sayings like everything happens for a reason and this is God's plan for you. And it was because of those things that I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and all for the better, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think if you were yeah. trying to fit your life into that worldview, yeah, I think again you might have killed yourself. Yeah, because the yeah, conclusions. I, I know people who are there now, and it's it's hard to see because it's just it's too much ignorance is what it is in my mind. I and, and it's incredibly you know the the, the implications of there actually being a God who has something to do with human affairs yeah. and a 15 year old kid jumping into the water and having everything change. Right. The implications, like what can you think except that that God is, I mean, if you continue to believe in that God, you've got to think either he's, there's something deeply wrong with, him or there's something deeply wrong with you yeah that makes you deserve it yeah i i i'm so proud of you and so blessed by you oh thank you um yeah it's just it's you know it's been one of the great privileges of my life you know to be not only your dad's friend but also to be you know, to get kind of a, a, a pretty close up seat to see what's, what, what you're doing. Cool. Well, thank you for that. And I, I really appreciate it means a lot to me. this conversation. I think I needed it. Um, it's, it's given me a little boost and, and some direction as well. Um, so I, I really appreciate you and what you bring to our relationship. I'm glad. Hey, I did want to say one thing to you. It's something that comes up a lot of times in my conversations yeah. with college students. And that is 
sometimes a kid will come to me and go like, I don't know what I am going to do next. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and yeah. I'd be like, you know, they're like, I, I hear people talking about passion and their quest and their mission. And I don't know what my mission yeah. is. And I don't know what my quest is. And I don't, I don't have a passion. And I'm like, boy, you know, as I listen to your voice, it sounds like you're passionate about finding a quest that you're in, you're in search of a mission. And I'm like being in search of your next mission is a mission in itself. Mm. It defines mm. your life. It, yeah. you, you become somebody who's like looking for treasure maps and talking to fellow talking to travelers and saying, where have you been? What did you see? Was there anything there? Right. And, and in some ways I, I, I guess I want to say like, it makes all the sense in the world to me that you came off of a cripple stance um, without a clear sense of what comes next. Yeah. And I feel like what, what actually comes next is, is the quest to figure out what to do next. And yeah. you know, you're like, wow, I've got all these new muscles. I've got all these new tools. I've got all these new skills and you know, I'm figuring out what to do with them. Yeah. And, and I think there's dignity in that. And I, I just, I, I really do. Like I would be so sad if you turned that page of that chapter hmm. and you said like, and my next project is this, I'd be like, how could you haven't had enough time to figure that out? Right. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, you know, I'm, I am planning on trying to tour a cripples dance and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking a lot more about traveling right now. And, um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that, that I'm kind of looking at that as my next mission, my next quest. Um, yeah, definitely. All right, baby. All right. I'm going to go, I got to go babysit. Okay. My little granddaughter. Say hi to her for me. And I will. I love you a lot. Love you too. All right, bud. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you go. I hope that conversation was good for you. It was really good for me. And Gabe told me afterwards it was good for him. He was like, I needed to talk about that stuff. And it's funny that that idea of that we sometimes figure things out by talking with each other. It's just another argument for the kind of community that I'm always trying to build, the kind of work I'm always trying to do, connecting people to each other. And the hope, the work that I know a bunch of you are involved in too, in different ways, in your families, in your relationships, um, in your communities. So yeah, so I, I hope that that was a little slice of why it's valuable. And you got a sense of what it's like when people are trying to figure themselves out by talking to each other. Anyway, I love Gabriel. And I'm just so, I'm just so proud to be connected to him. And, uh, and honestly, I think you should be proud to be a listener to a podcast that's connected to people like that. And hopefully that's what we're going to have all year long is just a parade of humanizing forces that we are privileged to talk with. Um, at least that's what we've got planned. All right. I'm not going to muck this up any further. Uh, 
I've got no quote for you today because I'd rather let I'd rather let Gabriel sing us out. So this is a song that I have a special connection with. Uh, if, if you caught in, it within the conversation with Gabe when we were talking about imagining what it would be like, um, this song is what always jumps into my mind. Here's Gabriel Roderick playing us out. See you next time on Humanize Me.
more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. Hey, you could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live for you ever wanted. You could